Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso, and this show is meant to help you make creativity the filter for your life, to take fear out of the driver's seat, and to step into the full essence of who you are and claim your right to have a dream and take up space. I'm super excited because I have an incredible guest for you today. The guest is Jen Gott. She was the first person I ever had on the show, and she's back to talk all about her incredible book, The Upside of Being Down. But before we get to that, I want to do a quick creative check-in. If I'm speaking from the heart, I'm really exhausted. It's 3.30 in the morning on Tuesday, the day I'm supposed to release this podcast, and I will be releasing it. It's been pretty back-to-back for me between my producing job and all my other creative exploits and just trying to deal with all the emotions of what's going on in the world and how quickly everything has changed around us. You know, something I don't think I've mentioned on here yet is that I have been executive producing Brene Brown's podcast, which I cannot recommend enough. If I wasn't working on it, I would still be a major, major fan feel super blessed I get to work on it right now. But on Friday, she did an incredible episode that really changed my perspective and that I highly recommend you listen to. And it was all about this concept of comparative suffering. And I'd thought of this before, but it was something I never really had words for. And basically, that's like saying, well, like, you know, yeah, I'm in pain over what's going on, but compared to what everyone else is going through, it's really not that bad. And that might be true, but that also doesn't take your pain away. And I recognize what a state of privilege I'm in, that I have a full-time job and that I am, I mean, that's just privilege. Like it is, you know, and so many people are out of work right now or at risk to not be in work. And I'm extremely grateful for that. But with that said, I'm also tired. And if I don't admit to that, I'm going to be more exhausted and resentful and, yeah, basically you need to claim how you feel because if you don't, then it actually makes it worse. And that's something Jen and I are going to talk about on the show today. But I noticed that once I listened to Brene's episode where she talked about that, it was like something in me freed up, like unsettled. Like I was feeling so tired. And once I could finally admit that I was tired and that I was just feeling overwhelmed by the sheer volume of work I had coming in and just by like being alive during this time. I mean, damn, just like going outside of the house, going to the grocery store, even if you're taking every precaution, you come back and you almost, I mean, I had like a near nervous breakdown, you know, when I come back from the grocery store. So this is just to say whatever you're feeling is okay. If you are out of work right now, I empathize with you and I love you and I'm so sorry you're going through that. And it's it's just a scary, uncertain time for everyone. And I guess I just want to say right now that whatever you're feeling is valid. But I will share some a couple of things that have helped me through this time. So one thing is that it really has been a time for reflection. I had this thought the other day and I want to share it with you. Uh, This is something I tweeted. You mean all I have to do is be myself? Was this all I had to do the whole time? I feel like while all this has so many horrific aspects to it, the one thing 
that I've found to be good is the necessity of staying in and slowing down in places where you can, you know, if if you have a busy job, you have to handle that. But on the weekends and in those spare pockets of time, you have to slow down and really think and sit with yourself. And I kind of have been just realigning the way I think in general. I've spent so much time chasing my dreams And I don't think I've spent enough time sitting with myself, learning who I am, and really deeply working on loving that person. You know, I think the Buddhists say like our one goal in life is really to know and be our full selves. And I realize I want that more than anything. And that if I can actually achieve that, that all the things that I thought I would get by chasing my dreams in such a vigorous manner will come to me anyway. And maybe it will be in the form of those dreams, or maybe it will be in contentment and just being who I am. So that was a pretty cool thought I had. Another thing I did when I was on a walk with my quarantine mate was we did two distinct lists. So one that had all the things that have actually been nice or okay since the quarantine and a list of things we miss. This is really important because there are some good things that are happening, you know, having to slow down, taking away the pressure of needing to go to social gatherings and being able to focus more on resting and rejuvenating being able to FaceTime my parents more, the fact that I've put things into perspective and I'm getting to know who I am. These are some of my lists, by the way, if I didn't mention that. The beautiful skies in LA, when when we have been able to get outside, just the skies have never been more beautiful. The clouds are so low. It's almost like heaven's closer to us right now. I think because of the lack of pollution, LA streets are quieter. I live right next to a freeway and I barely hear the cars going by. It's It's nice to be able to sleep through the night without waking up and hearing zooming trucks. There's less frenetic energy on the street, so I'm grateful for all that. And then the things you miss, because another show that Brene did that's out today, which you should definitely listen to as well, is about grief and how we are all in a huge collective state of grief right now for the way life was. We're mourning life as we knew it. That's real loss. And we don't know if and when those things will ever go back to being that way. And so we have to acknowledge it and feel it and claim it as grief in order to be okay. So I miss freedom. I miss the idea that I could go home and see my parents if I wanted to. I I miss going out to eat. I hate the fact that so many of my friends are out of work and scared. I miss being able to like just talk to people without being scared. I miss I miss being able to give people hugs. You know, there's so many things that we could probably go through and list a million. But anyway, I think it's helpful to acknowledge what you're grateful for and what you miss during this time. And one 
thing I'm definitely grateful for is my guest today and the fact that I get to share her with you. In February, well before quarantine started, I sat down with Jen Gotch, who is my guest today, as you know. Jen is a friend, the co-founder and chief creative officer of the lifestyle brand Bandeau, a podcaster, social media queen, and now author of the newly released book, The Upside of Being Down. As I mentioned, Jen was my first ever guest on Unleashed just over a year ago. We first met when I produced her podcast, Jen Gotcha's OK Sometimes, and since then, she's been a major creative and emotional influence in my life. I wanted to have Jen on this time to talk about the process of writing a book what it really takes, the ups and downs, breaking points where she almost gave up, and breakthroughs that made the roller coaster of creating all worth it. From our conversation, you'll learn tips to write and publish a book, overcome rejection, how to avoid reading reviews, why creative timing is always perfect, the power of solitude, plus WTF really happened in the desert. If you follow Jen on social media, you understand. Basically, she's been going to the desert for like the past year and making these wild posts, but not really saying what exactly happened. So I try to get to the bottom of that in this chat. So while this conversation happened prior to quarantine, it has a lot of tips, tricks, and laughs that will help you get through the time we're in right now. So without further ado, here she is, the amazing Jen Gotch. Jen, Thank you for being a repeat guest on Unleash Your Inner Creative. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for coming to my house twice. I love being here. I, I was like, when you went to pee and I was sitting here, I thought, this is a nice way to do a podcast. It truly is. Just chill. In your home office. Yes. <laughs> with all of the ambiance that comes along with we've, that. We've got a dog. We've got a cat. Yeah. Sometimes a neighbors, toilet. Leaf blower, potentially. I love it. Mailman. I, the mailman has not been here today, so I can almost maybe he'll want to guarantee us. that he's going to come to the door while we're recording, and then Phil is going to absolutely lose his shit. Good. So. Well, we can talk about how he creatively delivers mail, what he does <laughs> to keep his day going. Does he talk to himself or does he listen to podcasts? There's a lot. There's a lot. It's a rich conversation. The mailman came last night very late, and he had a head like a headlight on. And I just saw this like light coming. I was sitting at the front dining room table and I could see this light coming up the walkway. And then I was like, oh, it makes sense. He needs to see what he's doing in the dark. Yeah. You know what? And I'll give something to him. LA streets are not well lit. No. So especially my street. Sometimes you need a miner's hat in order Mm -hmm. to deliver the mail. Yeah. God bless him. Yeah. (laughs) So I want to talk about your book. Okay. The last time you were on the podcast, you were just in the midst of it. Oh, it was like I was the wondering. Stages. Oh. Yeah, you were taking time off from work and like delving in. I don't mm. know if you'd done the desert yet. No, I, the desert was like definitely more towards the end. Okay, cool. So probably not. Okay. So there's a lot to break down here, but one thing that I loved and that you noted right in the beginning of the book was Mm -hmm. how ever since you were little, you wanted Mm -hmm. to be a writer. Mm -hmm. So how did it feel when you first got the call Mm. to be a writer officially? Um, You know, it's interesting because I was looking back and my editor actually started emailing me, I think it was five years ago. So it really took a long time. You know, I I feel like at first there, there would be inquiries like that. And so it didn't really feel... It felt very flattering, but it didn't really 
I don't know. I like I couldn't real. process it, you know. And so I think it I think it really wasn't until like I was signing the book deal that I was like, "Oh, this is a cool thing." You know, also because that dream of wanting to be a writer, I had sort of put somewhere else for a while because I was like so caught up in other things I was doing that it wasn't like something I was like pursuing and then to just sort of have it come to be yeah it it was pretty cool it's still very it's like a very surreal experience like I still I'm like having a hard time processing what's happening <laughs> yeah it's pretty big I mean you had said that you wanted to like you you always had the dream in your heart but you put it on the back burner mm-hmm. was that a conscious thing you were doing or did you just kind of like forget about the dream and then it was like oh yeah. There's this thing again. I think I forgot about it for a long time. I am a chronic non-dreamer. Like I don't even when I think about you and like you have your dreams and your goals and your passions and like I don't like I don't operate that way necessarily and I don't know why I've been really trying to figure it out. So I wasn't like, oh, and one day I hope, you know, I think it was just like it was always something I gravitated to even as a kid. And then like in college, I really wanted to do that. And I just didn't get into the writing program. And, you know, I, I feel like I've always tried to weave it in, but in a way, a lot of my dreams are on the back burner and I just don't realize it because there are a lot of things that make me happy. So it's like the, there wasn't a singular dream. What's the difference between things that make you happy in a dream? That's a great question. I mean, I don't know that they're like mutually exclusive. I think they can um, be lovers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, but they could also see other people. Yeah. I think that sometimes, I guess it's like, I guess what I mean by that is like Bando, for instance, was never a dream. It you know wasn't like I hope someday to do this, but it feels a lot like I'm living a dream because I've been given the gift of this like incredible job and life experience through that so it feels equivalent to a dream even though it was something that I never really aspired to be so I think that's what I mean yeah and I think it's interesting too reading the book I mean you were always chasing not chasing a dream but like you were always chasing something that made you feel like you Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so maybe that's even like because I think a lot of people get bogged down by like what's my purpose or what's my dream and maybe a better thing to chase is like what places can you go and what things can you do that make you feel more like yourself yeah and I think that a lot of that is just following your gut and Mm -hmm. so sometimes that means really having to quiet your mind or like when you get those pings of just like an idea pops in your head or an urge to move somewhere or apply for a job you never thought you would or whatever it is I think it's like those were things that really guided me and I don't know that we're, you know, I think people say go with your gut, but I think to like truly understand what that is. And I, I feel like I was led by my gut or intuition a lot and just didn't articulate it and mm-hmm. it didn't have it articulate. There's also this fly here. <laughs> that guy's Wait, led there's by his two gut. things. There's a giant fly that I've tried to usher out all day long. And then there's like absolutely very large rats or something living inside the walls of the house. And you'll hear it. You'll hear just like a creak. It just. Can you get someone here? Because those wall rats could turn into in-home visitors as well. 
You know, honestly, at this point, I'd kind of rather just have him walk around here. You'd it's like it. the ghost of the rat. There were raccoons living under the house. There's all of these phantom things. You think you live alone. Yeah, and you and absolutely do not. Do I have not. a. I, I feel like there's a whole community. <laughs> there might even be like a rack center or something. <laughs> anyway, rack center, <laughs> ratatouille center. So okay, you get approached five years ago. Why? Mm-hmm. What happened between the five years ago mm-hmm. and the beginning of the writing? Like, what was that process? Yeah, so much. Well, I I said no. Um, why? I was too busy. I certainly felt like I wanted to write a book. I was, I really kind of wanted to write a business book, but I was so consumed with work that I was just like, I don't see how I would be able to do that. And I think like throughout the time that Lauren, especially who, that's my editor's name as well. Great name. Uh, I have great luck with Lauren's. You know, when she would sort of pop in and out, it, I just never felt like it was the right time. Like I felt like at some point the time would come, but I just wasn't, I wasn't in the position and thank goodness I didn't say yes anytime. But when I said yes, because I feel like I don't even know what that book would have been five years ago. Yeah. I mean, I think you would write a really cool business book because we get glimpses of it in this. But this was definitely like the right one to step forward with. Yeah, I think so. And like even in the business chapters that I put in this book, most of that I had not experienced yet. You sort of have these moments in business where you feel like you know it all, you've sort of experienced it all. And we were still in the business infancy. And I still like know, I mean, even since I've written the book, I'm like, oh, hmm, okay. Well, that's a little bit different than I thought. <laughs> so. When you were saying no, mm. were you at all scared that the opportunity wouldn't come again? Like, how did you get the balls to say no when that was something you kind of, yeah. it was a flicker, you wanted to do it, right? Yeah. I feel like I have a lot of faith just in the universe and that the right thing will come and when it's supposed to come. And even more and more as I get older and have more experiences that like lead me to understand that even at a deeper level. So it didn't feel like I was passing up on something major because I had this other really major thing going on. I feel like if I was unemployed and not doing anything and just saying no because it didn't feel right, that would have been scary. I didn't feel like I needed it. And although I wanted it, I just knew I would. I, I just didn't see how it would work. How can you know the difference between saying no because you're afraid mm-hmm. and no because you're actually like, it's not the right time, it's not the right opportunity, mm-hmm. but it will maybe be down the line? Yeah. I mean, a couple things. I feel like, you know, our minds have a real way of hijacking <laughs> us. Yeah. <laughs> like literally and everything. So, you know, to me, I would say sort of paying attention to what the thoughts are and emotions are that accompany your reaction. And if it's like you're getting a lot of sort of like fear-based thoughts, then maybe that's not the right kind of no, mm-hmm. you know? And again, I'll, I'll talk about it a lot, but I feel like my intuition and my gut has really proven to be a very good guide for me. So I don't know. I actually feel it in a different place in my body. If I, you know, like if there's, Usually if it's like an anxious no or fear, it's like more in my chest. Whereas like if it's a 
if it's like my gut is telling me, it's like I'll get like butterflies in my stomach or I'll feel like I get zapped with something in my head. Like it's, mm. yeah, it's pretty wild. And I, and certainly that wouldn't carry through to, to everyone. But I think the more you pay attention, like you could just look back in your life. You've already, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably already been faced with at least one decision like that. An important decision, you remember how you felt in the moment, you know, like in, and in, reflecting back on so many decisions I made I was like oh my gosh there's a through line to like how the answer entered how I felt and so I think knowing that and the last thing I would say is like you know when making a decision like that I feel like you have to kind of get it out of your head and put it out on paper or mm. like a type it out in your cons computer list or something? yeah or like just journal how you're feeling about it I think it really helps your cognitive processing. And also there is something about seeing the words outside of your own mind that gives you a different perspective where you might be like, oh my gosh, I'm just afraid. Or like, actually, now that I look at it, it is a bad idea right now. You know, I, those are all things that have helped me. I mean, I'm at a point where I just like, I'm like, no, yes, no, you know, just because I feel like Maybe just that's one of the good things about getting older. <laughs> but you that's what yourself. I would do. Yeah. 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 I, I think trust my gut. While you're getting to know yourself in your decision-making process, you need those tools mm-hmm. so that you can get to a point where down the road, you just know. Yes. Yeah. So eventually you, you said yes, though. Mm-hmm. And I know you had an idea for a business book. You wanted mm-hmm. to do a straight up advice book. Mm-hmm. So how did you come to this concept and like settle on it? And like, what was the next step after that? If I remember correctly, I mean, and this seems like it would make sense. Lauren would have pitched me the idea to have it be a memoir. I don't think that I saw myself as a person that should have a memoir. So I don't think my brain went there. Plus, most of the things I read are quite didactic. So you're into self-help books. Yeah. You love them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and like I will read a memoir, but I, you know, normally I just like prefer like more of a school book <laughs> format where I'm like highlighting. And so I think I just didn't necessarily go there in my mind, but I feel like she pitched me the idea and maybe gave me some like jumping off points of the types of subject matter she thought I could cover. And then basically it's up to me and I worked with my agent to like sort of put together like a summary of what the book would be about and like a suggested outline. Like basically like these would be the chapters and this is what they would be about, which is essentially from what I understand, like what you would be doing if you were pitching a Mm. book out, like you would create a pitch for the book and probably have like a sample of a chapter or of like part of a chapter. That part I didn't have to do, but we basically had to put together like the framework of the book and agree upon that, knowing that it could change once the process started. Although it didn't, it really didn't change much from like what we thought it was going to be. So it was like basically a thesis statement of what the book was Mm -hmm. and then you do an outline. Mm-hmm. That's great. And yeah. So that's great advice for anybody who wants to do a book and pitch one. Yeah. That's a good starting place. I mean, and it's it's a great exercise to see, like, do you actually have a book? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, is is this enough? And certainly it's very helpful if you can run that by, you know, I had the luxury of an agent and an editor because sometimes what you think is important to talk about or 
is relevant is actually not where the curiosity of people outside of your brain mm, those lies. people <laughs> them they're those it's so helpful they. to have a mirror yeah it is so helpful it, it really is yeah it it especially with something like this so i would say yes get it out there and then have people you trust look at it and see and then so you have the outline you have like mm-hmm. the tagline of what mm-hmm. it's going to be do you then go about writing it in sequence? Mm. How did this mm-hmm. come to be? Well, I kind of went about not writing it for <laughs> quite some time, if you may remember, yes. because I was the host of a podcast and working at a company full time. Running and, a company. Yeah. So I was just like, oh, I will get around to this. <laughs> so, you know, really for a long time, I think I was just processing it. Like I was, um, you know, thankfully, the work we were doing on the podcast really laid a lot of the oh, groundwork. Yeah, I was going to say there was like a direct correlation for totally. almost every chapter. Yeah. You know, to to be able to revisit a lot of those topics through storytelling and through the written word was really interesting for me. And also like the insight that I gained just from like the questions I got when we did an episode or what was resonating the most. So I had all of the transcripts, like I was able to actually see what was said and how I, you know, how I could translate that. So, so yes, like that, that was a luxury. So, so I feel like I was sort of like, I wouldn't say passively working on the book, but it wasn't like I was actively writing every day, but I was generating a lot of material and and laying the groundwork. And then eventually I just... I mean, push came to shove. I mean, we shot the cover, uh, not this past October, but the October before, and I hadn't written a word. I, I had been like, showing it to me. Maybe written a, the introduction, which ended up completely changing. So I had a very slow start. And I remember being on the shoot being like, this seems weird that we're shooting this cover and I haven't, I'm like, which, and I ended up being very late with the book. Like it, it was supposed to come out last October and it has coming out. It's coming out in March. Yeah. Um, or maybe today or maybe yesterday or maybe, yeah. I mean, who knows? We don't know. Let's do a few different takes. Time is fluid. Time is a construct. construct. That's exactly right, Lauren. So what does it even matter? No, it doesn't. Um, Yeah. Well, it's supposed to come out in October, then in January, and now now March, which ended up all being perfect, which is another lesson to say, like, this is exactly when it was supposed to come out. Like, everything had to happen. But anyways, so, so yeah. I mean, do you want me to talk about, is this the point where I talk about the process? I'm going to ask you about that, but I want to know, like, in the midst of you not doing things in the mm-hmm. timeline that you thought you were mm-hmm. supposed to, or that was set mm-hmm. out for you. How did you not beat yourself up and freak out? I know there was an aspect mm. of that, but yeah. like, you still went on. So how did you not like get stuck there? I think I probably compartmentalized because the thing is, is there's no one really checking in on you. I think if someone was checking in on me and I was actively failing them, it would have been a different situation, but it was sort of like, they sort of let you, off to do your thing and so it was like no one really knew that I wasn't and so I could just put it out of my mind because 
I was busy doing other things. Again, I think it would be a different scenario if your only one responsibility was writing a book and you didn't have anything else going on in your life and then you weren't doing it, which let me tell you, by the end of the writing process, that's essentially where I was. And that was very difficult. And there was a lot of beating myself up and then forgiving myself. And, you know, it's a very vicious cycle of feeling like you're failing and then feeling like you're succeeding and then feeling like you're failing, (laughs) you know. So yeah, that part came, just not not at that point. So I know you went through a lot of trials and tribulations. You just alluded Mm. to some. Mm. But can you take me through Mm. some of these delicious moments? (laughs) The journey. (laughs) Well, you know, here's the thing. Just like most things uh, in this day and age, I feel like the concept of like writing a book, especially a first time author, it just seemed sort of glamorous and you mostly see, hi, I have a book. (laughs) I did it, you know, and I like fell for that hook, line and sinker. Like I also thought like I'm going to be fantastic at this. Like I know I'm a good writer. I feel like I have a lot to share. But as it turns out, it was really hard. I really struggled. I, you know, I mean, the not writing was partially because I just like, I was having a lot of trouble starting. And then, you know, the way it works, your editor is not heavily involved during this process. And I didn't understand that. Like, think about you and I with the podcast. It's so collaborative. So collaborative. You're giving me notes. We're together every week, and obviously we have a different episode every week, but we're, like, talking. I can ask you, uh, you know, we would email about, like, do you think the sentence should be like this? Or, like, so it was, it felt like a partnership. And that's not actually the way it works with publishing, and I didn't understand that. So I felt very alone because I'm, like, who am I talking to? I'm stuck and I'm scared and I have questions. And it wasn't like I had a weekly touch base, you know. Could you create that or was it just like not on the table? Well, so not really on the table with my editor uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because that's not really the way it goes. Like they're, they're, once you have a first draft, they're, you know, they're very involved. But until then, not so much. Also, she was on maternity leave for a, a big part of that process. How dare she? Too. So <laughs> I forgive you, Lauren, in case you're, <laughs> Me you're too, listening. Honestly. Um, so what I found out is that you can hire a whole host of people to help you. There are like people called like book doctors that can help you. You can hire your own editor, like a personal editor, a book coach. You can hire someone to write your book for you, which is what a lot of people do. A lot. <laughs> and they don't always talk about uh, it. Uh, I remember when we were doing this shoot for the cover, my friend, who was a photographer and was helping out on the shoot, she was like, so who's writing your book? And I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, who's writing your book? And I'm like, I'm I'm writing my book. What do you – What? and she's like, oh, I just know that like a lot of people don't write their books. And I was like, I mean, this is my dream. I'm writing it, whatever, you know. So, and I also anticipated needing zero help. So I eventually decided that it was, that I was going to need to hire help because I'm like a toddler, right? I needed like 
accountability. Like I was almost going to pay someone to babysit yeah, me. Yeah, to like literally watch you. I get that. And check in with me and like every week, let me look at what you're doing. Let me give you feedback. Like I realized the only way, like writing into a vacuum for six months was not going to be, I was not going to succeed. And and I also realized like I don't actually know how to do it. You know, I I felt like it was going to be just like instinctive for me how to write a book because I can talk, I can tell stories, I, you know. You can write. I can write, but doing it in a book form is like completely different thing. And I, it just turned out I needed a lot of help. So I hired someone who was great and really helped me. I mean, within one conversation, the words just started pouring out. So, so she and I worked together for quite some time. And she was a coach. She was a she was an editor okay. essentially. So a lot of times, like editors that are at big publishing companies, will end up going freelance and they will do things like this. And so essentially, she was brought on to help me get the first draft, and then and then that was it. But we were just trucking away. I was like writing so much, so fast, just having the time of my life. I was like, I can't. I am good at this. And then um, when we got about six chapters done, we sent it in for Lauren to look at. And um, she she did not love them at all. Oh, gosh. And I'm, and I'm playing it cool right now. It, it was not great. And I was completely shocked. I just was like, dumbfounded I could I honestly could not believe it because I felt like I was doing such a good job and I haven't really had to deal with like creative failure in a long time like I'm in a creatively quite a cushy job because it's basically built around my strengths and like the brand echoes my sentiments it's you know it's like I know what I'm doing there so I forgot what it felt like also like I'm in a position where most people just wouldn't tell me that I'm doing a bad job even if I am doing a bad job like we'll just let her do that and we you know yeah how did you recover from that and was it like specific criticism where you could take it and do something with it or was it just a generalized wash it it was a little bit of both and we had some very um candid conversations with each other about like what this meant and the best way for me to receive feedback and like my need for constructive criticism and direction because um, just not liking it was hard. And she and I have talked about it. I mean, it ended up being like one of the best things that's ever happened to me and and was certainly a gift for the book and for the reader. Because <laughs> when I go back and read those chapters, I'm like, well, she wasn't wrong. But I was very angry. I was very angry. And so... Um, just in life? It, I What's happening to her? I, I was angry that I received the information in the way I did. I was angry because I was embarrassed. You know, I was angry because I was frustrated because then I was like, well, if this isn't it, I don't know how to do it. So I was scared. And, you know, there's like a very rebellious teenager in me that's sort of like, well, then fuck off. I won't do it. Yeah. (laughs) Like I literally was like, I'm worried that we might have like awoken the beast and we did. And like 13-year-old me kind of came out and was like, so you know what I'm going to do? Sit on my hands and not write. And I and it wasn't even present day Jen wanted to write. But this other part, you know, whether it be like my mind, my ego, whatever, was just like shut down for like six weeks. 
How did you talk her back on? Here comes the desert. So, so, um, in and amongst this, you know, Lauren and Monica, my agent, we, you know, we were having conversations like, how do we get on track and like, what would I need? And, you know, and at some point Lauren said, you know, here's my advice to you. You need to go away somewhere. Like, you need to take a break from Bando. Like the thought that you're going to be able to do all of this at once, like you're not like you need to almost sort of seclude yourself and just get in a zone and work from that place instead of four days a week writing, three days a week working at Bando. That's when I decided to go out to the desert and experience solitude <laughs> and get some clarity. And what I realized in that process is the original editor that I was working with, I think that feedback hit her really hard too, you know, mm-hmm. because um, she felt like it was great. And so I think what I realized in the maybe the first week out there was like, I was going to need a different kind of help at this point. Like I was going to need to be like someone really sort of steering the ship for me in a way that I'm used to doing for myself. Mm -hmm. And so after like some very open discussions, we decided that I was going to hire somebody else because she just felt like she probably wasn't the right person for that. Like the editor you had hired. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it wasn't like an angry thing. You know, I, yeah. I was like, I really like you. I mean, by that point, we had spent so much time talking on the phone and she knew so much about me. And like, I had really had a lot of trust in her. But like what I came to realize, which was a hard thing for me because I don't like, I don't like having conversations like that. But, you know, I, she's a grown, she's a grown up. So I was like, I'm going to put the ball in her court and just say, this is, this is what I'm going to need moving forward. And if you think you can do it, you are my first choice. And if you don't think you can do it, that is okay, too. That is great advice for when you're at a crossroads with someone. Yeah. You know, especially if it is something where you're hiring somebody else. Yeah. Put it back on them. Yeah. Because then you're just being honest and then they can be honest back with you. Yeah. And I feel like I had trust and respect for her. And again, I just felt like she would be honest in return. And she was. And she was like, I like. I've enjoyed this and I love this and I want to be a part of it. I just don't think that I'm, I mean, she she has a life. I I mean, I was going to need a much larger time commitment too. So, so then I ended up sort of leveling up to someone who has a lot of book experience. So Rachel Birchie, who, if you notice, it says like with Rachel Birchie, like on one of the, probably not on the cover, but like on one of the pages, it, So basically she came in and just like got my shit straight in a way that was so remarkable because essentially I had written like over a hundred thousand words and maybe there needed to be 60,000 and I didn't know what to do with them. And my inexperience was really starting to show itself and my ADD, like my brain and the way that it can get compromised was also very front and center. And so I needed this other, I needed like an operations person to like look at the material and craft it in a way that makes sense and help me work through the feedback from 
my editor and like so she was like a huge collaborator for me and even like towards the end you know my brain was so fried like even to be able to write some of those last chapters I was like losing my mind so she would we would talk about it and then she would like put she would put in some language sometimes she'd be like I know that none of this is actually anything that's true (laughs) but just to get you thinking about what it was so it was like just this incredible help and a huge lesson for me because I was like, I, there's no way I'm getting that kind of help. I really wanted it to be my own thing. And like, and in it the end, still is. Of course. It's yeah. like, so it was discussed very initially and even throughout our time together. Like, someone's not going to be able to write for me because I have a very specific voice and a sense of humor. And like, it's hard. I mean, even at Bandeau, like sometimes people will try and write on my behalf or write copy. That sounds like something that I would say. And it's like, I always have to go back. I used to do it. And yeah. The, on the podcast. Well, you got quite good at it. I mean, I love, well, I love reading this book because I could hear your voice. Yeah. And that's so important when you anything is written for you or if yes. you're writing something it has to be the signature yes. jg yes and i wanted that for the book like mm-hmm. i wanted that the book to feel like we myself and the reader were together and and so it was never about that it wasn't I'm sorry like, I'm laughing at something I like laughed at hysterically when I was reading it what it was um the, like sticking marshmallows up your butt what was the line <laughs> I, don't, I think it was like if someone told me sticking marshmallows up my yeah. butt would cure whatever <laughs> it was something like yeah you like eating something and sticking marshmallows up my butt and it was like honestly same yeah it, it, like you get to a point where you're so desperate I, with whatever you're I just dealing wanna, with yeah you're like you'll try anything I mean I feel like I have done I've never stuck marshmallows up my butt but I've done but similar I've, things. I've definitely been open to some stuff that would be I've the equivalent stuck garlic in my vagina to cure a yeast infection yeah okay I didn't know about mm-hmm. that but yeah, I, it I'm works. gonna keep that in my back pocket <laughs> and that's a peeled is that peeled and crushed oh you're gonna want to peel it you don't have to crush it you can put a, a little clove. fork in it so it gets extra juicy <laughs> Oh my God. We'll see if we leave this That's part amazing. In. <laughs> 100%. So anyways, it was the perfect collaboration for me. And Rachel has written books. She's an author and she just was such a pro. So what I would say, you know, because a lot of people that have read the book now are like, say what you said. And then they're also like, it was such an easy read and like easy to follow, even though you're sort of like in different places. And I was like, I can take zero credit for that part. Like that was Rachel and Lauren, my editor, they did that part. I did not know how to do that. Like, I don't know how to do that. I know how to share, (laughs) but then making it, I mean, you know, because think about how like tangential I could get on the podcast. And so a lot of my original writing was written like that. And when the feedback was like, this, this isn't working, you know, I was like, but this is who I am and this is how I talk and this has always worked on the podcast. And, you know, Lauren was like, this is a different medium though. Like you can't. And so like having editors in place that could say, like this isn't you're doing yourself a disservice like I get it it's quirky and fun and whatever but like sometimes you just have to stick to the point Mm -hmm. and even if that feels like you might do it in a more roundabout way like if you want more people to like be able to read and understand this like you should 
do that, but it's I needed help. It's a quick read too. Like you can, I think so too. Two days tops, yeah. you know, cause it's fun. It does feel like you're sitting there with a friend and I love that, you know, you know, I know it took you a process, but this is the first time you've done that. So it yeah. makes written a book that yeah. is, so it makes sense, but you really looked at what you do best. Yeah. Just the same way you talked about like at Bando, sometimes you need to like look at what you do best and then bring in people to yes. do the rest. Yes. Like you can't be a solopreneur forever. Yes. And I think it's the same thing when you're doing a new creative project Look at what you do best. Bring in other people to help you craft that. Yes. And there doesn't have to be any shame in that. Like I'm really excited to be able to talk about what that process was like because, again, we just don't see that. I mean, and that was just like the logistical process. Like forget about the whole part where you're actually doing this emotional excavation and like revisiting. Let's talk about that. (laughs) So like, first of all, you posted a lot about the desert and like Mm. left very ambiguous Mm -hmm. messages on the internet. You're like, I can't even talk about it, but I'm in the desert and it's magical. So first of all, what the fuck happened in the desert? Well, okay. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. That'll be book two. Okay. I'm already writing the pitch. Did and you the outline. see a ghost like that? I felt so, like things were. I saw so many yeah. things. I mean, I definitely was in touch with another dimension. Wow. I mean, it was. I mean, I bought a house out there. Like it. It was a very life changing experience, and really, basically experienced alone, which is. You know what I mean? Kind of. It's as hard as everyone says it is. And then imagine that and then expand (laughs) that thought into a place that you don't even understand where you are because that's actually what it is. Because the other thing is like life doesn't stop during that time. Like Mm -hmm. you still have all of your other stress and like relationships and friendships and work and parents and and I made the mistake of trying to buy a house while I was writing the book, you know, I I mean, so it's just a very raw, vulnerable time for so many reasons. And then like add feeling like I'm failing and like having to ask for help in a way that I just was not comfortable doing and felt very ashamed of. Like it was a, I mean, I, I was really losing 
my mind. I mean, it, it, it's, it's amazing to me that I was able to do it. There were many times where I was like, I think I just have to like give the money back and just stop. Like I felt like that a lot. What pulled you back in during those times? I really, really wanted to write this book because I mean, and I say it in there, like, I just feel like it's going to be helpful. And like, you know me, like, I I just want to help so badly. That's your tagline. I hope this is helpful. (laughs) It's true. You know, I mean, I mean, the luxury of having that podcast and all the feedback that that I received and like still receive. And it's just like, I know that, like, I feel like I was given a gift of like, not being afraid or ashamed to share the things that I do. And so I just kept thinking like, this is not for you. This is for other people. So like, take yourself out of the equation, your fear and your frustration and all of that. Like you have to take yourself out. Even like, here we go. I told you, here it is folks, 456, (laughs) the postman arrives and he is obviously a dangerous intruder. Yep. And he's we got a hat with a light by my dog Lip, also known as Philip. <laughs> I came in today and I go to Jen and I go, "Hey, so your dog's name is Philip? You ever think of calling him Lip?" <laughs> and I said, "No, I had not, but I will now." Yeah, That's so his Lip, name. Lip is out there. I think, I think we're, I think we're safe now. We're, it's a, it's clear. a thirty second exchange that happens. Every day except for Sunday Mm. because the mail doesn't come on Sunday, but sometimes Amazon delivers and we get a very similar thing. So you were talking about how you kept going and then like advice for other people on how to keep going. Yeah. I mean, I think- When they're in that moment where they feel like they should just give up, give the money back. You know, hey, sometimes you're going to give the money back. Honestly, I, I feel like I had a very specific intention and goal for this book. And it was my touchstone throughout that entire process. Like, and it still is now. I mean, because having a book out and getting ready to put it out into the world and like have strangers read it and have their opinion is also a very scary, weird time. And I just, I've secluded myself information wise. I'm like, I don't need to see any reviews, any, anything. Like I just want to stick to my intention, which is like, I wrote this book to help other people. And that's all it has to be. As much as it is a passion project, I understand that like I didn't write a book because I wanted to write this book for myself. Like right. I'm clearly benefiting from it in so many ways. But we do this a lot at Bando too. Like set your intention first thing. Like before you really even dig in or like if you're writing a book, like when you're writing the outline, like get in touch with what your personal intention is for your project. And like make sure you're revisiting that all the time. And when we started doing that at work, and this has been a couple of years, it changed everything. What is the intention of this meeting? What is the intention of this product line? What is the intention of this event? You can see where you're getting off course or like sometimes you revisit it and you'd be like, man, we've really lost it. Like we've lost it. I don't even know if we could find it again. Or like, oh my gosh, guys, like the intention was to show gratitude and we're like caught up in like, the color of a balloon. Like, let's get back to the thing. So I think like creatively, it's like such a, I have found it to be a useful tool and it's not something I did for most of my life. It's literally just been in the last few years. Like, I don't even think for the podcast, I necessarily had a clear intention. Yeah, it's pretty high level. I mean, but that's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately because 
Bob Iger, I know he just stepped down, but mm-hmm. he talks about how everything goes back to the Disney mission statement, like all the great decisions he made to like buy Marvel, to get Pixar, like it all, if it fit into the mission statement, he'd do it. And yes. if it didn't, he wouldn't. Yes. And I think that we need to have those in our lives in general. Yes. Like what is your life mission statement? And yes. is everything you're doing somehow feeding into that? Yeah. From the big, big to like the teeny tiny decisions you make. Yes. I completely agree. And if you ask me for what my life's mission statement is, I will not be able to tell you right now. But but I think having those service, right? Well, certainly is a, is a huge part of it. I mean, you know, bringing joy and helping people feel less alone is certainly a huge part of it. I think there are other things. I mean, I think there's like the self piece and like, the inner journey that is really important to me in this lifetime too. But I mean, I do think even if it's, even if it's, you go so far as to write those things down and like revisit them. Yeah. It's uh, the trash is being taken out. By no, my I'm trying to think, I'm no. thinking about like what yours might be. It has to have something to do with expressing yourself and mm-hmm. knowing yourself so that others can also know themselves. Yeah, certainly. Well, mm-hmm. th- absolutely. I mean, Dave Chappelle got like a, Kennedy Center honor or something. Uh, it's, I mean, first of all, I'm a huge fan of Dave Chappelle. They put it on TV. It was an amazing thing to watch. I watched it twice. But one of the things he was talking about in his comedy is like he's trying to reflect people back to themselves. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's what I'm trying to do. I, I didn't know that initially, but the more you hear people say like, oh, I see myself in you or like, oh, I understand something because I saw you do it and it made me think of me. And so I think that's why my goal is always relatability, like to be the most me, me, because as it turns out, a lot of people identify with that. And I think it's just like an, it is an easier mirror to look into, right? Mm -hmm. Than like a mirror that's like maybe... (laughs) A skinny mirror or, you you know what I mean? Like, I just, I think, so yes, certainly like that's a huge part of, thank you for that, Lauren. That is a huge part of what I want to do. No, I mean, that's a a big part of how knowing you has helped me. How are you cultivating the self-control to not look at reviews? Mm, Oh, I have no desire. Really? I I, I said, um, it's funny because like very early, you know, like when we actually sort of like launched the pre-sales in January you know they sent through an email with like numbers and and goals and I was like oh hey you know what I think maybe take me off these emails and I like removed myself from all book meetings um, because Bando is heavily involved in the book stuff and and I said like I I really I just I know where my brain will go whether it's to a good place or a bad place or a competitive place or whatever and I just like don't want it to be that way. And I also have the luxury of a lot of people fighting for me on my behalf. So I said, listen, if something amazing comes through, I would love to read it. And if there's something that I need to be aware of, that's like awful, that may be presented to me, by someone messaging me on Instagram or someone asking me in an interview, like, let me know that too. But otherwise, like, I, I just don't want the updates because mm-hmm. I want to just like stay in my zone. And I think like that desire trumps any desire so like the curiosity I'd be like, should I just Google reviews today? Okay. I'm going to try to focus on that. I got to tell you, it's a very powerful, yeah. it's, why do you have to see that? It's also, it's like, what it's is like an any of thing. that? Yeah. But it's, it's also just a weird, it's like a, a rush, whether it's a high or a low. It's like, 
And the thing is, is like what, what I realize more and more is like, those are all just people's opinions. When, how do you think you did? I mean, I think I did a good job. You know, do I think I wrote the best book ever written, which was what I set out to do? No. <laughs> but do I think it's like a good book that's going to help a lot of people and like make people laugh and in it, and it's easy to digest? Yes. Like I 100% feel like I accomplished that and that's enough for me. What was the most surprising thing you learned about yourself from this whole process? Mm, gosh, there's so many surprises. <laughs> I'm so surprised. <laughs> how surprised um, you were? Yeah, I'm, su- I'm surprised at how surprised I was at the surprising things. You know, a couple things. I would say, I don't know that there was like this one huge surprise. I feel like there were some things about me, like the asking for help, letting go of control, all of those things that I knew were an issue but didn't realize, like they were very pronounced Mm. during that time. And then I think the other thing that was really interesting and I think like writing a book or not, this is something that people could do, is like sort of recounting some of these things in my life that were like my stories, like my go-to stories when I became friends with someone or in therapy or like the the moments in my life that I felt like had defined me when I put them on paper, same as like what I was saying earlier, like you put these, your thoughts out in a way and then you read them. And then I was like, is this even that big of a deal? You know, or like, actually, does this mean what I thought it meant? I think it means something different. Like I was surprised a lot by the new relationship I was building with my life experience based on looking at it in this completely different context and having early reactions to it. Like having someone say like, oh, I didn't get that from that story or I don't think that's that big of a deal. Or like like I'm saying, me being like, is that what was really happening? This whole time I've been saying this is what happened there and it wasn't, you know? Right. So I mean, like, are you speaking uh, to the Sudafed story? I mean, that was certainly yeah. one of the things where I was like, I, I would always say, yeah, I tried to kill myself when I was 12. Like, it, that was always, you know, uh, a thing, not in this, like, light, you know, trivializing it, but it was like, that yes, was a part of you. my mental health right. journey. Like, that was something I did. And when I when I was revisiting it, I'm like, I don't think that's what I was doing. Like, I I don't think that's what I was doing. And like, the more I, that's when I Googled, like, why don't, why didn't I feel seen? Like, I wanted to feel seen. And I had these very attentive parents. It was like weird that I was wanting that. And then it sort of led me on this whole other thing that was like, you're a highly sensitive person. And that's the this whole other, most of which is not in the book, because it they were like, okay, let's... <laughs> Let's remove this. You're going too deep. Um, but you did outline it. And yeah, I, think, I put it in a little bit. I think yeah. it's just a great thing to remember. Like, look at the stories of your life, yeah. like you said, that have held resonance with you and really examine them for what's going on deeper. Like, what really happened, first of all? Yes. And second of all, what's the deeper story there? And I think the other cool thing that I'm taking from this story is when I was reading your book... Mm. Lots of memories of my own childhood yeah. came through where things were like, oh, that kind of happened to me. And so I think it's going to be a really good guidebook for other people uh, to go through their own journey and certainly their mental health journey and put the pieces together in their own lives. Like I would say even keep a journal while you're reading Jen's book and take this the certain events she went through and, and like ask yourself, did that ever happen to me? And if so, what was the iteration for me? 
I love that. I'm thinking, should we come up with some prompts for people? I think so. I've been thinking Honestly. about that a lot because I was like, should I be giving out highlighters a during, on my book tour because I'm a huge highlighter. Highlighter, underliner. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But no, I appreciate you saying that. That That's certainly, that is the power of memoir that I didn't understand. Like I really thought the only way for people to have those thoughts was to be led to them in a very didactic way. And direct. But and sometimes it can be indirect. Yeah. yeah. It's, now it's like you just, and I've had a lot of feedback where friends were like, I loved those stories. And I was like, oh, I didn't like any of the story part. I liked when I was like just explaining it. And they're like, no, no, no. The stories actually made me reflect on my own, you know, childhood or adolescence or when I was in college or s- certain struggle. And I was like, oh, that, that's wonderful. <laughs> I didn't even know I was getting to do that. Honestly, so. the most. Yeah. So, okay. Like your mom was a big part of this. And obviously you've talked about her on the podcast. She's made an appearance now on your Instagram dancing. (laughs) I know. It was a very wild moment. Can I tell you that was post reading the book. I, I think she had, she felt really good after reading it. Like that was literally maybe the day after she finished. Well, because, you know, it gave me a different impression of your relationship too, because You've spoken about the challenges, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know what a key piece of the puzzle she was for you. First of all, feeling safe with your mental health quest. And second of all, helping you really discover it. Yes. You know, she was the one in there with you in the mine excavating. And it was really beautiful for me to see that like while your relationship has been challenging in many ways, it's also been one of your greatest teachers. And I love that quote you put in there where you said, it's the most complex relationship I've ever been in and probably the most complex one I'll ever be in. Yes. And I think 100% true with a lot of us with our moms, but like yours is even deeper. It's very, and it remains as such. Like every time I think I've figured it out, we're in a very complex period right now. Right. But yes, she was a huge, huge influence in many, many aspects of my life. There just wasn't the same type of consistency maybe that I get with my dad. You know, it's like very, what you see is what you get with him. Whereas, yeah, I mean, my mom and I were like in the weeds and like fighting and loving and all of this stuff. So, you know, the other thing is like, Certainly when I first set out to like tell some of those stories, there was more dragging through the mud than what actually got in the book. But when I started reading that, I'm like, it doesn't matter. My like my mom was never trying to hurt me, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I had felt like these were very personal slights, <laughs> you know, like I felt like she was trying to hurt me, like the way that those experiences had inserted themselves was like that's when my mom was being mean to me Mm -hmm. and she did a bad thing to me and the more that I processed those and also just was doing work on myself like I realized like that was just my mom trying to do her best she didn't achieve greatness all the time no one does um but like I don't have to like rehash that for the world to be like yeah my mom fucked up sometimes like it's just it's to me it it doesn't matter. It actually takes away from like what I'm doing. And I, and it just like, I don't know. It just felt like it would be a disservice. So like, I still, I mean, I kind of just, I told her the stories that I was going to tell and I, and we've had a lot of conversations about it. So it was like, I didn't take the whole stories out. I just was like, I could see that my anger was coming through in the writing and I really didn't feel like it 
it was necessary. I mean, the way you did it, it was just factual. It wasn't super angry. It It was like emotional as it should be, but it was just the facts versus like, I'm going to get her with this one. Yeah, or my perspective, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, and I think at times I try and reflect on how she may have been feeling. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, when you write a book, unless you've like specifically asked someone, which in some cases I did, I mean, you're basically giving your side of every story. And so in doing so, you know, I tried to constantly remind myself and the reader that there are other sides to all of these stories. This was the way I experienced them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, one of my favorite parts too, is when you talked about the fact that your parents are human and like, I remember a very distinct moment. I was actually in one of the darkest points of my Mm. life. I was walking through downtown Burbank. Oh, oh, that sounds very beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and I was talking to my mom and I, I literally said to her, I go, Oh my God, you're a person. (laughs) Yeah. It was just this revelation where I had only ever thought about my parents in relationship to me, my mom, my dad. I never really thought about Joanne and Mike. Yes. And so you have this beautiful moment in the book where you acknowledge your parents are people. Yeah. And I think it's such an important practice for those of us who have any sort of challenging relationship with our family members. Yes. To remember that they're people too. Yes. And that unless they're like a sociopath. Yes. They were doing the best job they could. Of course. And they're still trying to figure it out and they have all sorts of stuff going on in their minds that you never have access to. Mm -hmm. And I think like, especially when you're younger and your parents tend to have like still a fair bit of control and impact on your lives. You know, I mean, it's like my parents were giving me money for a really long time. So they were these like forces in my life. And I think it was only in getting older and having like complete independence that I started to see what you just articulated, which is like, this is Serena and Jamie. These are people that are struggling, that are succeeding, that are failing, that are loving, you know, and they're just like me and they don't have the answers to everything. They're just people. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I was thinking too. I'm like, wait, you had all these issues while you had me? I know. I can't what even. What are you, nuts? <laughs> That's why I tapped out of that game. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to live this complicated life and child rear. Yeah. <laughs> You've got Lip. Yeah. I've got Lip and Gertie wherever she is. I still think this is Lip. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm being called Lip is my favorite. Our time with Lip. <laughs> it's, it's I'm going to rebrand the, the worst podcast. nickname. <laughs> So another thing is in the book, you talk about how your first business, it was your first business, right? Vincent's ear. Vincent's ear and okay. other lost treasures. Yes. So it was a, like a resale shop. Yeah, it was, it, it was basically like, yes, I like found things at thrift stores and either resold them or painted them and sold them. Like I had a space in an antique mall. Yeah. So I found this to be particularly profound because you say Vincent's ear turned out to be the groundwork for future businesses. You know, we've talked about it already. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the chapters mirrored what we did in JGOK. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was a beautiful example of how like just because something's either on hiatus or it didn't really work out the way you wanted it to doesn't mean it's not going to circle back around and like be a piece of your future big thing. Totally. I mean, here's the thing. Very rarely do you get to plot a course for your life your professional life as well and be like, first I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this. You know, it's like, I feel like unless maybe you're like, you study accounting, you become an accountant and then you retire from being an accountant. You know, I think it's like when you're pursuing creative endeavors, like you don't really know what the 
road is going to look like to get where you want to go. And you don't know that when you get close to that destination that you don't want to go somewhere else. And I think like the idea, the thing that I hope to show with that is let go of that part. Just pursue what you want in that moment. And like, you certainly have a North Star, but just know that like it will most likely not turn out the way you think. And that is not a bad thing at all. In fact, like you may be opening up yourself for something better. And so it was the same. And like to me, the podcast, like, man, I wish I could do that. I was like, I thought for sure I would just go right back into it once I was done writing, but it it just didn't happen that way. But like, what an amazing moment in time for me, for us, for, you know, and yeah, I had no idea what I was, I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> but also had no idea what that, how that was going to contribute to my life my career and the lives of others. And so it's like, you don't have to know every, you know, it was like why I was following my heart. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, the through line for so much of what you've done, like what we started out saying, like, it's not like you had this big dream. You followed what made you feel like yourself, what made you feel happy, what sparked joy. Yeah. And just kept going. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a beautiful, beautiful little tidbit there. Yeah. And it's important, I would say, like to then try not to be disheartened when it doesn't go, you know, I mean, I, there was a huge opportunity to be disheartened when, when I realized like I couldn't do that podcast anymore, but I was just like, you know what? No, I feel great. How did you stay in the great feeling? And, you know, I think I just recognized that essentially you have a choice. You can be disheartened or not be disheartened. That's like the choice. Mm -hmm. So I just chose to not, to not be. That's a good one. (laughs) But it's like, I mean, in its simplest form, like you actually, it's like you think you don't have a choice, but you do have a choice. So it's like you just frame your perspective around that. So Mm -hmm. I built my inner dialogue around that. I'm not going to be disheartened. I don't need to be. There's certainly times where something is inevitably incredibly disheartening. You know, tragedy (laughs) is disheartening. But like this was just, this was not that. Right. So you talk a lot in the book about your breakup Mm. from Andrew, Mm -hmm. your ex-husband, and you were in solitude a lot while you were writing the book. And Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know if you know this, but I actually just recently went through a breakup. You know, it's funny because I was wondering just in looking at Instagram and I didn't want to ask you because I didn't want to upset you, but I was like, I wonder if there has been a breakup. There has been a breakup. Yeah, we went. We broke up in October. Okay, but it was it was really enlightening for me to read those chapters Mm. because I definitely reflected a lot of the things that you were talking about. But I think just in general, like as creatives, we're alone a lot. So whether you're single or you're alone because you're in solitude creating something, it's difficult. And I found a lot of difficulty in like being alone and being able to just sit with that. Yeah. Yeah. What would be your advice for me and other people who are having difficulty with the mm-hmm. solitude uh, on how to best use it, like both emotionally and creatively? Okay. Part of the reason why I'm not the best equipped person to answer this, although I'm going to, is I love being alone. You know, and I think like, you, I mean, we talk about being alone, but like being a human is a very singular experience. So I was alone in my marriage a lot. 
not because of anything that Andrew did, but like when you're going into the depths that you go to, especially as a creative, you sort of are alone. So I guess maybe in saying that, it's like you've been alone before, you know, you're alone a lot. You just, it didn't look the way it looks now. Like there, there think about how many times you've been sitting with someone and felt alone, mm-hmm. you know, um, or walking down the street and feel alone. So I I think, you know, being alone and being lonely don't have to go together. And what I would say is in and amongst the like fear and boredom and, you know, everything else that comes with being alone. Will I ever be loved again? Yes. And the, remember when I had skin hunger? Yeah. (laughs) I did learn, I did, there is a way, I'll show you when we're done. Like if you can wrap your hand that it doesn't feel like you're like if I'm laying in bed, sometimes I'll lay on the back of my hand and then have my that hand like mess with my hair, like mm. like caress. It's so weird. But someone told me about this and I was like, oh, my God, it actually does feel like you're receiving instead of like patting yourself. It's very strange. But anyways, I, it's so weird that I was like. I'm never doing that. And then one night I was like, I'm just going to try it. I'm like, it's not something I do all the time, but I'm like, that actually does send a different signal to my brain. Like it doesn't feel like it's my hand, but back to the subject, you you know, you get to learn stuff like that. (laughs) There's such an opportunity to learn about yourself in the deepest way possible that absolutely cannot be achieved without some sort of emotional or physical solitude. Like, that's why my editor told me to do that. That's why I feel so, like, I need that time alone. That's why I bought a house in the desert because I understand the value in it. And I think just like everything else I've said, like, if you can change your perspective and not have it be a negative thing, then you can start to explore it as like, how can I use this to my advantage? I mean, sitting and watching a movie alone, helps you. I mean, mm-hmm. you're not thinking if the other person is liking it, you don't have to listen to them crunch on popcorn or whatever they're going to do. And you can cry and you can think about how it relates to you or have an epiphany and write in your journal. I don't know. Like, I just think there's like so much benefit to it that maybe the advice I would say is like, why don't you just try framing it as a gift? You know, the gift of being alone. Right. And there was a lot in your book, too, about being present with whatever you're feeling, whether it's like suffering or joy yeah. or like creative light, whatever it is, being present with it. And I think the times when I felt worse are when I'm trying to escape the reality that I'm currently experiencing yes. instead of experiencing it. I mean, how lucky are you to know that? You know, yeah. I mean, it's that's a huge thing. I think any sort of resistance, escape you know, when you feel yourself doing that, that's like, that's the time you have to pay attention because there is, as someone who has escaped and resisted for such a huge part of my life that I try not to do that anymore, man, I just put off the inevitable time and time again. Like you're not getting around it. (laughs) You're just not. So like go through, I mean, I liken the whole process of the book and like everything I was experiencing during that time, like walking through a tunnel of fire and then getting to the other end of it and just seeing another tunnel of fire ahead of me. And by the third one being like, I'm just going to run through this tunnel. 
fuck it. <laughs> I'm going to run through the tunnel, Jim. Yeah, good. I want you to. Uh, Don't get burned. Okay, well. There was another thing that you talked about in the book that I felt was like particularly poignant and it was when you put out the mental health necklaces. Mm. So mm-hmm. the anxiety, depression, mm. like they're beautiful gold necklaces mm-hmm. that would say certain mental health things. Mm-hmm. And there was some really angry backlash mm-hmm. from it. Mm-hmm. So can you go through a little bit of how you dealt with, like how you took that in first mm-hmm. and then like how you recovered from mm-hmm. that? Yeah, sure. Well, listen, you know, that was another thing that was just an idea that I had that just sort of came to me and I could not be deterred. And my intention in doing that was really simple and pure. You know, it was like, I I want people to have something for themselves if they want to name their illness, if they want to be able to open up conversations. Like I was doing it because I felt like this is something that people could use based on the things I had seen through like the podcast or my own. I mean, the podcast had kind of just started, but like so much of what I was sharing on social media, like I think gave me insight into like something that could help. And just help the greater, you know, the nation and beyond in like, how are we going to start talking about those things? So, so I felt very solid in the whys and still do. And so when we launched it, you know, what I didn't realize is mental illness, like I understood that it could be upsetting, like the subject could be upsetting, but it's just so triggering for people that I didn't know that mostly because I talk about mental illness all the time on my Instagram and it's very rare. I don't, in the 0.01% that someone gets angry or it is admittedly triggered, like tells me that. So I had no idea And so, you know, putting that through the lens of Bandeau, this like incredibly joyful company and putting it out on Instagram and, and without thinking that people don't really read captions, they just saw a necklace that said anxiety and from a company and just assumed like these are being sold for profit and we're glamorizing mental illness now. And they had no idea who I was or that these were all words that were tied to my story. And so that's just a precursor to me actually answering your question, which is, so then there was sort of this flood of energy around it, pretty much 50-50 split. Like there were a lot of people that, I mean, necklaces sold out in an hour, like it resonated, but there were a lot of people that were very angry for all of those reasons. And so like, yeah, like immediately I was like defensive, not necessarily publicly, but I was like. don't get it. This is, you know, like wanting to fight. And then I realized like, Hey, we're onto something here. Like it's probably in my best interest and our best interest to like sort of quiet ourselves and like, let's take inventory of this feedback and like, where can we help? You know, where can we bridge the gap on the communication? And then let's check in with ourselves. Do we all feel comfortable with what we're doing? Do we feel like it's sound logic and like the purpose makes sense. And it really did. Like we wanted a philanthropic effort. We found one that made sense. That was very tied to me. We were doing it in the most respectful way. And you know what? Even in all of the clarifying, still very misunderstood by a lot of people. And, you know, I inquired specifically with people that had messaged me just to gain an understanding. And like, 
I totally got it. And at the end of the day, I was like, okay, this is something that I'm not going to get 100% buy-in from people. And that's okay. Like I feel super comfortable with it. And so I think just processing it in that way. And also, I think this is just like generally a very good thing for people, especially creatives, those of us that are putting our work out there all the time, to know that like a lot of times that sort of like criticism and just like dark matter being thrown at you is just someone's pain. It actually has nothing to do with your song or your necklace or your book. It, it, that's a reflection of their own pain. There's zero you could do to fix it. And I think me being able to like release ownership of making everyone happy because there are some people that you will never be able to make happy, like really helped me understand that it's like so few of those things are actually about us, even if they're, they have our name attached to it, you know, it's almost never, it really is almost never. I mean, outside of you, like doing something specific to a person that, and you did something wrong or hurtful, like outside of that, everyone's having their experience through their own lens and, you know, same could be said for the people that love you and think you're great. It's like that has to do with them too, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting thing. It was a very – I'm so glad it happened the way it did. I mean, it helped our company a lot to grow into like more of who we are now. I mean, it was sort of exciting to like have controversy and feel like uh, like a healthy controversy. Right. You know? Yeah, and it it was actually an opportunity for you also to go back to what we were talking about before, which was the intention. Yeah. You know, to reexamine the intention and make sure that it was in line with what was happening. Yeah. So that's beautiful. Yeah. So Jen, you're getting close to releasing this beautiful work of art. (laughs) It is. (laughs) If you could go back to the Jen that started this Mm. and like stand in the same room as her. That started this book or this life? This book. Okay. <laughs> I was like, how far, which room are we going If we could into? go back to when the <laughs> sperm hit the egg. No, I'm kidding. We can ask my parents about yeah, that. Yeah, let's call I'm them. sure they would give us a play-by-play. So what would you say to that Jen? Mm. What advice would you give to her and why? You know, that sort of question is always funny to me because knowing myself and that Jen and this Jen... Uh, I would scoff at the advice. <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. 100% be like, yeah, you have no idea what you're talking about. You know, I'm the same person that asked my agent, like, how, what's the fastest anyone's ever written a book? I want to beat that timeline. And then it, and then I was very slow. So I think, you know, certainly I would say this is going to be a lot harder than what you think and it's going to take you to your limits and to dark places and you're going to feel like you can't do it but you can and you are going to just like with any dark time or failure the benefits that you will reap from that will be so worth it you won't be able to see that at times like you 100% will only see blackness. <laughs> but you, when it's all said and done, like where I am now, I'm like, thank God for all of those awful things where I didn't want to go on or where I, where I felt angry or hurt or traumatized. Like I'm so much better for it now. I've learned so much and I feel really strong. It's not an easy thing to get through. So I would have said all of those things and then I, and then the 
me from before the book would have been like, you don't know, this is going to be very easy for me. <laughs> that sounds like you're describing someone else's experience. <laughs> I love that so yeah. much. Well, Jen, thank you for being here. I'm thank very you for proud being of you. Here. Thank you. It yeah. means a lot to me that you read it and that you wanted to talk to me about it. I love it. I'm I glad. love it so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And thanks to my friend, Jen Gotch, for being such an amazing guest. You can get her book, The Upside of Being Down, wherever good books are sold. And follow Jen on social media at Jen Gotch and at Bandeau. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. You can follow her at Liz Full. And thank you. If you like the show, be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe. If you really like the show, the best way to make it grow is to tell a friend about it. So you can take a screenshot of yourself listening, post to your socials, tag at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso, and I will repost to show my gratitude. My wish for you this week is that you are kind to yourself and others. Don't engage in comparative suffering and just let yourself feel whatever you're feeling. I love you. Stay safe and healthy. I believe in you and I'll talk with you next week.